You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Eagles are at the podium, and we've got it all for you right here, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. Coming up, we're going to get to news conferences from Eagles defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz and offensive coordinator Mike Groh. They spoke to the media on Wednesday about the Eagles' Monday night victory over the New York Giants, and they're going to talk a little bit about uh, the injury situation and what's coming up for the Eagles on Sunday in Washington. Um, so lots to get to as, as the Eagles are trying to recover from what was a very exciting win on Monday night, but dealing with some serious headwinds on the injury front, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And Mike Rowe will talk about that. But also on the defensive side, Jim Schwartz's uh, crew had a very tough first half, but then made some adjustments at halftime and really closed things out against a terrible New York Giants football team. So you'll hear their analysis of what went down on Monday night, and they'll talk a little bit about what they're expecting on Sunday in Washington. But before we get into all that, I don't know how many of you know this, but I'm actually based in the Washington, D.C. area. My, my job is, is in the city. Uh, I used to work six blocks from the White House. Now I'm closer to the Maryland side of things, but still uh, working in the district. And I live in Northern Virginia. I've been here for 15 years. And so I have been in the D.C. market for quite some time, frankly, for for three quarters of the Daniel Snyder era here in Washington. And I have never, and listen, I grew up in Delaware County uh, for, for most of my life up until I was 29 years old. So born and raised in the Philly area, and I was there for the dark times. I, I was there for some of the some of the dark eras of Philadelphia sports. I, I just started cutting my teeth on the Eagles during the Marion Campbell era, but really started watching football during the, the Buddy Ryan days. And there were, there were, there were decades uh, before Buddy Ryan showed up where the Eagles were one of the laughing stocks in football. They they just lost year after year after year. They were an afterthought between 1960, between the early 1960s and uh, the mid-1980s when, when Buddy Ryan got there. There was about a, a two-decade stretch of football that was pretty abysmal, pretty unwatchable, as bad as as any team has has encountered, really. In recent years, the Browns and the Bengals have certainly endured their their long stretches of frustration the lions as well and right now i don't know that any franchise in the last 30 40 years has undergone as as much of a transformation to the negative as washington has the the, the reaction that fans have of this football team in this city is unlike anything i ever saw when i was in philadelphia and the big thing that separates washington from say cleveland fans and cincinnati fans is that at one time the Washington Redskins were one of the three or four marquee teams in football. You had San Francisco and you had Dallas. Uh, you had in the uh, in the AFC, the Miami Dolphins were, were a perennial uh, winner for a number of years. You had the Pittsburgh Steelers and you had the Washington Redskins. The Washington Redskins were one of the marquee teams in the NFL. 
Uh, they won three Super Bowls in what was it eight years in the, in the in the 1980s. They were they were as formidable a team as you would ever run into. Uh, they were they were one of the best run organizations. They had one of the most rabid fan bases in all of sports, not just the NFL, but all of sports. And to see where that franchise has gone is depressing, even as an Eagles fan, because one of the great things about being an Eagles fan used to be the rivalries within the division. And I wrote a piece about this for Bleeding Green Nation last week. The rivalries between the Eagles and the Giants and the Eagles and the Redskins and the Eagles and the Cowboys, you used to have six playoff games in season every year. That's how good the the rivalry was between all of us. The Eagles have not been great this year, but what we've seen happen to Washington and New York has been depressing. I'm, I mean, listen, it's a great opportunity for the Eagles. I'm, I'm glad both of those teams aren't doing as well this year because it's the only thing keep on keeping the Eagles' heads afloat here for a playoff berth. But what has happened to the Washington Redskins? And, and the fan base reaction in this city is truly remarkable. They are 3-10, and 10, Washington is, coming into this game on Sunday. And if they, they lose each of their last three games, which they probably will, they'll finish with a 3-13 and record, which would tie them with the 2013 team. That was the last year of Mike Shanahan, uh, the Mike Shanahan-Robert Griffin marriage, uh, where they went 3-13. and Washington is... I, I, they're pro- they, hmm, are they worse than the Giants? I think they might be. They might be worse than the Giants. They, they're 31st in to- total DVOA, second worst in football. 31st in offensive DVOA, 19th in defensive DVOA. They've got a rookie quarterback in Dwayne Haskins who looks overmatched. He won. He's won two in a row. The team's actually won two games in a row, but he hasn't looked particularly good. Which, you know, he's a rookie quarterback. You're not expecting too much from Dwayne Haskins. The only thing Washington fans have to hang their hat on here is the only reason they have to watch these games here over the last month of the season is to see if Dwayne Haskins has anything. But they're scoring 14.5 points a game this year. That's last in the NFL. They're 21st in points allowed per game at 23.8. And that would be, it would be one thing if this was the beginning of a rebuilding era. But we're talking about two decades of futility in Washington since Dan Snyder owned, took over as owner of the team. Two playoff wins in 20 years for the Washington Redskins. They're the only franchise in the NFL since 1999. Again, this is 20 years that has not had an 11-win season. Think about that. Every other team, 31 NFL teams since 1999, and I guess there's probably a team or two in there. Has every team been in the league since 99? I think they have. I don't think we've had any any expansion teams uh, since 99, but if we have, okay, 30, whatever. Over the last two decades, the only franchise not to have an 11-win season. You have games for the for for Washington. You have Washington Redskins regular season games selling for five, four to five dollars a piece on the secondary market. Five bucks for an NFL ticket should never happen, but it's happening. And you know fans are being offered free tickets, and they are turning them down. I remember in high school when I when I when I went to high school and uh Temple University used to play their games at Veterans Stadium. My high school used to give away free games to go see Temple football at the vet. And I no, nobody ever nobody ever took them. I mean, they were sitting on our high school uh offices counter for any student to just walk in and you could pick up a ticket and go go watch Temple play football. No nobody went. Nobody cared about going to watch Temple football. It's the same way now only with the Washington Redskins. The Washington Redskins they are so apathetic about this team, they don't want to go. The The morning show on WJFK, The Fan, 106.7 The Fan here in Washington was talking was talking about it. And it's just, it's, 
you know, as someone who enjoys a good a good fan base and a good rivalry, it's it's laughable. It's sad, but it's also laughable. I'm crazy about going to see the Skins and the Lions. The Skins are one and nine. The Lions are terrible as usual as well. Place is a dead zone. The team's not competitive. Um, it's super frustrating mm-hmm. right now. I don't blame anybody for not going. Here's a typical response from Brian. Wouldn't go for free tickets, free parking, free parking, free food, free beers, and a free limo ride to and from. No. Correct. This one. Haven't been since 2012 and have turned down free tickets numerous times. Yeah. Now, here's one who said yes. Yes. Club level, 15 bucks. Right. Sykes can- to hang out and watch the other 1 p.m. games. <laughs> Plus all the sillies. People around. can get a bargain mm. and, and go to an NFL game. That's what it's turned into here. I mean, listen to that. Fans fans aren't even furious anymore. They're just despondent. They don't care. And in fact, it's, it's even gotten worse than the fact that they're despondent and they don't care. Many fans are actively rooting for the team to lose in the hopes that it'll it'll spur some change. Does that ring a bell, Eagles fans? There are a lot of you maybe who have been listening to this podcast this year who have been rooting for the Eagles to lose recently because you want to see change. And I guess I understand that to a degree. But it's one thing to do that when you're one in 10, which which Washington was a few a couple of weeks ago. It's another thing to do it when you technically are still alive for a very when you could very easily still get a playoff spot and and win the division. And when you went to the playoffs last year and won a playoff game and went to the Super Bowl two years ago, I don't understand rooting for the team to lose at that point. When you've experienced 20 years of futility, I can understand fully embracing the tank. I mean, Washington fans here would be more than happy to to go winless each of the next five years if it meant finally breaking out of this funk. It feels like you're in an endless loop of suck, and there's no way out of it. Washington Redskins running back Darius Geis talked to NBC Sports Washington recently about how it kind of sucks going on social media, even after Washington wins uh, the rare game here and there. It just sucks whenever, you know, I score or something or anybody scores and, and our team posts a picture on Insta or Twitter and everything under it is just fire this, fire that, fire this. We suck. We did, like, bro, like, that doesn't help anything, you know. And, I, and like I said, I'm new here and I understand, you know, some of these fans have been here 20, 30 years, but like, there's a lot of guys on this team that are new. Like y'all can't bring all that neg- negativity to us. Like we've been here 20 years. Like right. I don't think that's fair to us players either. And what's even worse, if you're Dan Snyder, what's even worse is that some Redskins fans have just jumped ship entirely. There is a piece in the Washington Post out on Thursday written by Scott Allen where he was chronicling a massive number of Washington fans that have changed allegiances and are now rooting for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, this is. Let me read you a little bit from this story. Jason Simmons decided enough was enough October 7th when the Washington Redskins uh, president Bruce Allen told a group of reporters that the organization's culture was actually damn good at a news conference to announce, to announce Coach Jay Gruden's firing. That was the last straw for me, said Simmons, a 38-year-old lifelong Redskins fan who grew up in Bowie, Maryland and now lives in Cincinnati. How can you be so obtuse and blind? Dominique Nelson cut ties with his favorite team last December when the Redskins fired their president of business operations after less than eight months on the job. It had been multiple things, from Robert Griffin III and the Scott McLuhan fiasco to the Kirk Cousins contract, said the 33-year-old IT specialist who, like Simmons, was raised in a Redskins-obsessed household in Prince George's County. It was just like chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. That was it. I said, I can't do it anymore. But Simmons, Nelson, and others didn't just quit on the Redskins. They also started rooting for the franchise that plays about 35 miles north of FedEx Field, the team with the AFC's best record, the NFL's leading MVP candidate, and a fan base that, at least for now, is having fun watching football. You don't see fans switching allegiances. That would be like Eagles fans going to root, not maybe not for the Giants, but maybe root for the Steelers. 
You know, it would be like watching Eagles fans in mass become Steelers fans. The fans up there, they jumped ship. They're Ravens fans now. And I, who, who knows how long they'll stay there? I mean, if you're if you're jumping ship, you're you're not really a committed fan or maybe you're just lashing out. And that's probably what this is. They're just lashing out. But there's a reason they have the worst owner in sports in Dan Snyder. They have the worst executive in sports in Bruce Allen calling the shots. The Trent Williams fiasco this year was unconscionable. They knew they that Trent Williams wasn't going to play for them this year, or at least they should have highly suspected it. They could have traded Trent Williams for a first or a second round pick this year and just decided through, through sheer force of will that they were going to make Trent Williams play for them this year. Well, once Trent Williams could no longer hold out, he came back to the team and blasted the team for failing to properly diagnose a growth on his head, which later turned out to be cancerous. He had to go outside the team in order to get it diagnosed, in order for his life to be saved. The Redskins almost cost a guy his life. So he swore not to play again this year. Redskins decided, okay, cool, we'll cut ties, we're not going to pay you. I mean, not only did they waste a good player, they wasted an opportunity to at least get something for the player. They wasted Robert Griffin III. They have the worst stadium in the NFL. I've gone to number a number of Redskins games. Many of you listening have too. It is the worst, most inaccessible stadium in professional sports. The parking is horrendous. The, the ambiance is horrendous. You can't get there. It's easier for a Redskins fan to travel to Baltimore for a Ravens game than to get to Landover, Maryland for a Redskins game. L- listen to these fans. Listen to these fans on the WJFK Morning Show talk about they had an idea about the Redskins being moved to London. And fans were in favor of the Washington Redskins moving to London. I would love it if the Redskins moved to London because, one, we currently don't have a a football team. There's nothing here that's worth watching. London is probably easier for me to get to than Atlanta, Maryland. I think it's an excellent idea. Uh, Redskins going to London is the best idea y'all have ever come up with. But I think Jacksonville really wants to go. But if there's any way that we can get San Diego to come over to D.C. or Northern Virginia would be better. Fox's broadcast of the Ravens win over the 49ers two weeks ago. And this was a big, that was a big game. Big, big game. So maybe it's not fair to compare the two. But the Ravens win over the 49ers two weeks ago earned a 12.5 TV rating in the D.C. market. The Redskins game on CBS in the same window earned an 11.7. So fans would rather watch the Ravens-Niners, an admittedly phenomenal football game, over their own team play the Panthers. Now, if that was the Eagles, well, I think, you know, if, you know what, though? Eagles fans had the same choice. And I really, and I'm pretty sure that the ratings for the Eagles game were, were higher than than that uh, than that Ravens Niners game. I'm not sure, but I'm guessing I'm guessing most of you would have rather watched the Eagles play than the Niners and the Ravens, even if the Eagles may have been one in ten at the time. I don't know, I don't know. But the decline in attendance is staggering. From 81 to 92, fans surged to RFK Stadium in mass. But in the last decade, the Redskins have seen a 31 percent decline in average attendance, according to a study by the site 24/7 Wall Street. The next closest team is the Bengals at 21%. The Redskins are the only team that failed to fill at least three-quarters of their seats last year. Last year, the attendance at Redskins games dropped an NFL-worst 19%. The second-place team, the Buccaneers, saw their numbers drop by only 9%. And there was a time when coming into Washington used to be terrifying for teams. But now, fans, fans, the fans that do show up, they're all visiting fans. 
They're, they're, they're home games in Washington. We saw it last year in week 17. Most of the fans, as you're seeing, are just despondent. They don't care. They don't care anymore, or they're switching sides. The ones that are still Redskins fans, at least there is some anger here. But it is truly a fan base that has died. And this franchise, Dan Snyder's not giving up ownership. I mean, and even put aside the whole controversy about the team name, which already has a kind of has a black mark around um, many circles in the NFL and um, for for you fans. We we try not I, I try not to say the Redskins name, but in in, in talking about them today, it would have just been too hard to not talk about this football team and not say the name. But I get it. So you've got all that going on. Dan Snyder's not giving up control of this team, not anytime soon. He's probably going to fire Bruce Allen this off season. But when has Bruce, when has Dan Snyder ever made a decision that's that's worked out? So no matter who he replaces him with, it's probably not going to work out because Dan Snyder's still involved, and that's why Redskins fans are so upset because they know as long as this guy's the owner, it's probably never going to change. If he's the owner for thirty years, this team's going to be a laughing stock for thirty years. And so as the Eagles get ready to go into Washington, and the stadium is filled by mostly Eagles fans. It's going to feel like another home game for the Birds. Dwayne Haskins, I just don't think, can mount any kind of a challenge against this this Eagles team, even as up and down as the Jim Schwartz defense is. And as 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 busted as the Eagles offense is right now, with the fact they only have two, uh, two we'll see if Nelson Aguilar plays, but if, he, if they don't, two wide receivers. And if you have Nelson Aguilar, you got three wide receivers with Nelson Aguilar as your number one. Not exactly lighting the world on fire. But the Eagles should not should not have any trouble winning this game on Sunday. It would be I would be monumentally shocked if the Eagles went in there and lost. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the Eagles win this one easily, twenty seven to thirteen. The 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 Redskins offense should not mount any kind of a challenge against the Eagles defense. They should have Dwayne Haskins pretty well bottled up. And I think Carson Wentz found something last week. I don't know that the practice squad guys are gonna do as much as they did last week, but this Washington team has nothing to play for. And I maybe sometimes that can make a team dangerous, but in this case no, the Eagles are not going to lose to this football team in Washington. Just cover Terry McLaurin, and everything will be fine. All right, folks, so let's head to the podium, and uh, let's hear from Eagles defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz and offensive coordinator Mike Groh as they recap Monday night's game against the Giants and look ahead to this Sunday in Washington. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Shorten up the press conferences? And now that was Bill Parcells. Keep it cold in the training room. Keep guys from out of the training room. Keep guys out of the training room. Okay. Jim, how do things look uh, different with Wayne uh, Haskins at quarterback? Um, well, obviously, the other two quarterbacks were veteran players, um, Keenum and McCoy. Um, you know, so I think that 
you know, just the inexperience factor in there. He does have a great arm. He can make the throws. Um, you know, their run game really hasn't changed a whole lot. They've, you know, they've they've continued to do some of their zone read and RPO stuff. Um, you know, I think I think um, you can tell he's going to be a good player. We just got to make sure it's not on Sunday. Jim, I'm going to ask a yeah, I usually don't answer those. <laughs> Help me out. Uh, so you've, we've seen you had success when you've gone, you know, with more man, single, single high, and then obviously against the Giants, you guys played a, little, a lot more zone in that second half, and that adjustment worked. What what goes into, um, I guess maybe in generalities, when you make those decisions, um, when you want to help the corners, and maybe when you don't. Well, you know that game. That game was really predicated more on the field conditions and weather conditions and stuff like that. You know, we were playing some man early in the game and you know lost our footing a couple times and you know, just didn't want to be isolated one on one so much. So um, went to a little bit more zone starting in starting in uh, probably about the middle of the second quarter. Um, you know, all all that stuff goes into it. You know, one of the things that's you know, hard about the Giants is, you know, you have to try – you're trying to handle the, the coverage aspect of it, but you can never get too far away from Barkley. And uh, he was a big part of what we were trying to do, trying to get him – his touches limited and uh, try to keep a handle on him in the run game, which I thought we did a pretty good job of both things. How would you explain the importance of the play Josh Sweat made on that flea flicker? Yeah, I mean, that's that's important. We're, we're our, um, our undefeated um, – um, uh, record on on um, our sticks defense was almost threatened on that one. We didn't play that great in the back end. We had a guy that had deep coverage that uh, came up too fast. The underneath guys are attacked fast, and deep guys, are, you know, play play pass first. But but that being said, um, you know, a lot of times when you run flea flickers on you know normal down and distances, you negate the pass rush because guys are playing the run, and then they flip it back to the quarterback, and you generally see the quarterback has all day in the world to find guys down the field. Well, in a situation like that, third and 14 or 15, whatever it was, um, you know, those guys aren't playing the run. Those guys are pass rushing. And it makes it a little bit harder because, you know, they're, you know, in those, that situation, you're fine with them handing the ball off. So it makes it a little bit harder for the quarterback to have enough time to find those guys or, or get it off. I think that's what you saw in that situation. We only have a three-man pass rush there. Um, but. You know he's got he's got a lot of time. Number one, they hand it off and flip it back, so it gives him even more time to go and disrupt the play. And on plays like that, that's what you're really looking for. You know, you can go across the film, you know, watch you know million plays. I, I bet you a significant portion of plays in the NFL there's somebody wide open. And generally, you know, if if they're not completing it, it's because the quarterback didn't have enough time to be able to scan or find or somebody closed his window or sacked him or forced him to throw somewhere else. And I think you saw that in this situation. But um, that was a big play for us. Jim, Josh has one pass breakup for, for Sidney Jones. Do you feel like there could be uh, any significance for him uh, from that play build off yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, that was an important part of the game. I mean, third down and three, number one, is is a tough down defensively. Um, and then coming in cold the way he did. But it didn't surprise me at all. It didn't surprise us at all. Because um, Sid has worked really, really hard um, in this last month or so. You know, his role has decreased. But that hasn't affected his work ethic and it hasn't affected his preparation or his attitude, all, all those things have um, have been good, and that's that's going to serve him well um, 
you know, as, as he goes forward and as we go forward, because we, we talk about it all the time. Um, you know, we, we say a lot of times the night before a game, you know, somebody's going to be called upon to make a play in this game and um, they might only play one play in the game. Well, sure enough, it was true. Um, that was that was a big play. I don't know if we win that game if he doesn't make that PBU because of tie game at that point. Yeah, it was tie game, fourth quarter, um, had a couple injuries. You know, he went out cold and um, they came right at him and he was up for the challenge. I think you said you mentioned that someone called for Craig first. Was Craig supposed to be up? Or no, no, um, no. We, we put Sid into the game. It was just that as those guys were going, um, you know, we had d- different personnel groups. We had um, Craig was going on the field for his package. Um, you know, um, Craig was coming on saying, hey, there's a corner that's out. You know, whatever. There was a timeout. We had plenty of time. We, we got we got the group we wanted out there. Before in that situation with a guy like Sidney, whose playing time has decreased, um, how do you make sure he's still engaged in meetings and film and all that stuff, practice? Well, I mean, so, some of that falls on us, but a significant portion of that falls on the player. You know, it's not up to us to keep him engaged. It's up to him to stay engaged. And um, he's had a great attitude, and uh, he's worked hard on the practice field. And, you know, he's worked on different parts of his game. He's worked fundamentally on his game. Um, you know, so, you know, when, when you do that, um, there's an old adage in the NFL, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Well, Sid stayed ready. rewind back to him a little bit. Um, now that you've seen his expanded role, cumulative, how do you think he's handled it overall this season? Yeah, you know, he's been productive tackling, you know, our rotational defensive ends. Um, he's been tackling probably at a higher rate than a lot of those guys that we've had in those roles in the past. And he's rushing at uh, very similar rates. He's a young player, um, and I think he's improving. Um, you know, he's made some big plays for us this year, and I think it's uh, just, he's made the most of the, the reps that he's he's had the chance to get. Not a full-time player, but – you know, him and Vinny both got more playing time in this game with Derek being down, and um, both of those guys made some big plays for us. Vinny had an outstanding game, was very disruptive, um, made a couple sacks, made a couple good plays in the run game. Uh, you the locker room at halftime, Jim, what was it like when Jason Kelsey gave that passionate, emotional speech? Well, I was, uh, yeah, I, I didn't go somewhere else at halftime. Well, no, I didn't. <laughs> um, but no, I, I'm, I'm not going to comment on anything that's said at halftime. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that's said, and you know, when you're ahead, when you're behind, everything else. I think the key part is that we came out and had a good second half, uh, offensively and defensively. We were able to come out with a win. A lot of Malcolm's plays probably get overlooked, but what have you made of, of how he's playing in his 11th season, and I think it's particularly this last game as well. Yeah, just very consistent. Um, you know, and that and that's a hallmark of of Malcolm, consistency, and and it it going back to Sid, um, it it doesn't it that that consistency isn't by accident. Um, his approach is the same every week. He's he's a very resilient player. He's a very disciplined player. Takes care of his body. Takes care of his mind. Um, practices hard. Um, you know, studies hard. He's smart. It's multidimensional. Um, you know, all that leads to consistent performances from week to week. Plays wears a lot of different hats for us. Um, you know, he's always been a you know a strong tackler. You know, 
didn't blitz him a lot in this game. He didn't blitz a whole lot in this game. But one time he he did. He went up and really affected the quarterback, flushed him out of the pocket. We were able to get a, a big stop backed up and, um, you know, get the ball back for our offense in that situation. So, um, you know, there's, there's not much on the football field that you don't have confidence, um, you know, given Malcolm to do. And, um, you know, he's proven that over the course of not just this year, but over his long career. Do you have that consistency from Ronald Darby? Um, well, I, th- I think that I think they they play different positions. I think that when you say Darby, you know, Darby plays corner. He doesn't play nickel and safety and linebacker and all those things. But uh, there is similarities. Um, approach very similar. Um, you know, studies the game. Um, you know, all those different things go into it. I think that one of the big things you you see with corners and. You know, when when you guys talk about consistency or we talk about consistency, um, the the corners live in a world that if they make a if they make a mistake, it's there for everybody to see. Um, Kickers are the same way. Quarterbacks are the same way. Quarterback makes an interception or throws an interception or, you know, fumbles the ball. It's it's there for everybody else to see. He made an error on that play. Um, defensive tackle makes an error on the play. Maybe the run goes for five yards instead of for zero, or maybe a quarterback buys time in the pocket and completes the first down. And maybe you think that the coverage wasn't very good, but the corners live with that, um, you know, with with that that kind of scrutiny. And it takes a special kind of guy to be able to do that. And Darb didn't start off that game well, but uh, I will say this: that first touchdown is 100% on me. It's not on him. Um, I was, we had a third and 13. I'm trying to keep him out of field goal range there. It looks like it's going to be a low scoring game. We got some weather situations coming in. Maybe points are going to be at a premium. Um, I don't want to let them get five yards or seven yards to get in the field goal range. Generally, I don't really care too much about field goals. Um, but if, if, if we're in zone defense there and we got more guys at that thing and, you know, I make a 10 yard thing and kick a field goal, um, you know, I, I and all of a sudden we lose by three, you're sitting there saying, man, we should have been more aggressive to try to get them out of field goal range in that situation. Well, that's what we were. We blitzed. We played man. Um, field was slippery. Um, he's coming for the interception point. Eli made a really good throw, though, on the backside hip right there because um, Darb, is, Darb is driving to the break point of that route, and Eli saw him through the back hip. He was able to make the catch and then spin out of that tackle, and and we paid for the touchdown. But I I, I don't I don't view that at all on Darby. I view that 100 percent on me. Um, if if there's a there's a risk reward when it comes to um, being aggressive and trying to keep people out of field goal range, and we paid for it with a touchdown there. Um, but I did like the way he bounced back from that first half. When you talk about consistency, it's not just in your play, but in your mindset. And, um, you know, he went out and made some big plays for us in the second half, and uh, we needed it. We lost Jay Mill in that game and, um, you know, lost Russell for, you know, play later on down. Um, I don't know that we could have won it if Darby didn't bounce back in that second half. Jim, from a statistical standpoint, Adrian Peterson has not been his usually impressive self. But what do you see when you see him on tape? I don't know about that. I mean, he's strong. Um, still has great vision. He's a very productive runner. Um, you know, we're going to have our, our work cut out for. So, you know, and, and again, we saw it last year. He's one of those guys that if, if you fit a run wrong, he can make you pay with, by taking it to the house. He did, he did it against us in that, um, in that first game last year. 
Um, you know, a little bit like Barkley, like we talked about him. It's a guy that you gotta you gotta um, you know sort of limit his opportunities, limit his touches. He's a guy that has great vision and can threaten all the gaps of your defense. So if one guy makes a mistake, he has the ability to to make a big play. We're going to play our very best to uh, to play him. I, I know what's on film this year. I really don't care what his stats look like. In your time here, your defense has had a lot of success against rookie quarterbacks, <coughs> in particular with the pass rush. I don't know how much of that is, is situational, but do you find playing against inexperienced players, uh, your defense plays better than, than maybe those veteran types? I don't know. I've never really thought about it that way. We have a job to do every Sunday, and um, we try our best to, you know, accomplish that. Um, you know, every and every game plan is different. Every every experienced quarterback is different. Every rookie quarterback is different. So I don't know if there'd be a whole lot of carryover from uh, week to week, or you know, we, we we don't have I don't have a folder somewhere that says rookie quarterback, and you pull that out and you um, and that's the game plan. I mean. It depends on, you know, a million different other considerations going into it. What did you uh, learn about McLaurin in the first matchup? Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that can make a big play. As a rookie coming in, um, you know, I mean, obviously you have the preseason to go on and, you know, his, his draft status and what our scouts said about him. But you see it in real life. And, you know, we, we blew a couple coverages and that gave him a couple plays. But I think over the course of the next however long it's been, um, 11 weeks, he's proven that he's a good player in this league. Um, you know, he's got speed, he's got hands. He's been a, um, you know, he's sort of become their number one guy. He's, he's taken on a bigger role as they've lost their tight ends. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, I, th- I think what, what we saw in the first game, you know, sometimes a guy can have a great game and then, you know, it sort of disappears, you know, sort of a one-hit wonder kind of game. Um, that's not the case with him. He's proven it over over the, the course of the season that he's a good player. That we're going to have to we're going to have to number one cover, but number two tackle, and um, and and know where he is. Have you seen a, a ton of change from Jay to, to Bill as far as what they're doing offensively? Um, not really. I mean, it, a lot of things they've 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 carried over. You know, they're they're. Their play caller on offense has been there. Um, you know, Coach Callahan has been there. You know, there's been a, a stretch runner. Um, I think probably the changes more so than anything are just where they are with personnel, and that happens to every team. You know, they've lost a couple tight ends and Jordan Reed and Vernon Davis, and they've had to sort of go to some extra offensive linemen in there. And, you know, they've had some, you know, different cast of characters in at, um, at wide receiver. Um, you know, lost a running back early in the year and then lost him again. So they've had to sort of change. And I, I'd view any of their changes as personnel changes as opposed to scheme changes. Pretty much everything you see, you've seen at some point uh, over the course of the season. It's just, um, you know, we're, you know, then every team's the same way. Okay. All right. Thanks. All right, guys. How's it going? All right. Uh, the practice squad guys. So they're on the scout team during the week. How do you keep track of like who's doing what? Do you talk to the position coaches about each of those guys, or you just sort of look around when you need somebody? <laughs> you know, how does it work? How do you evaluate <coughs> during the season? Uh, well, we're we're obviously we're all out there and have eyes on uh, on those guys at all times, and in particular, 
the position coaches. Um, so if you're speaking about when we're servicing the defense and, and getting them prepared to play, um, you have the opportunity to, to watch those guys and, and observe those guys and, um, <clears throat> you know, see, see how they show up each and every day. Um, and then also in the individual drills, you can see the progress that they're making there in terms of, uh, you know, their technique and the things that we're coaching. Hey, Mike, when guys uh, start dropping like that, the injuries and that, what's it like in terms of play calls and that? I mean, is it, it must get really exciting and creative. You know, what are you going to run for them? What is that process like, you know, trying to figure out? Exciting is one way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you got to get creative, um, you know, like the circumstances that we had the other night. Um, we anticipate it, uh, you know, sh should we lose a guy at, at, at any of those spots, you know, what, what was the uh, alternate plan going to be? So I think it's a, a great credit to the coaching staff. First of all, you know, Carson Walsh and uh, Justin Peel and Deuce Staley, um, those guys uh, coaching those positions and getting their players prepared um, for, you know, any kind of adverse uh, situation that we might find ourselves in. <clears throat> and then secondly, it's, it's a great credit to the players. Um, to be able to have the mental flexibility uh, to go out there and, and the physical versatility to, to be able to play different spots, be able to move those pieces around um, and go out there and perform at the, at the level that they did. And uh, so it's a great credit to, to everybody involved. Yeah, like, what, uh, do you have to like, look on a, a second play sheet? No, like we, we have them listed on, on that sheet. And um, we probably, you know, we have them listed, uh, you know, maybe a little bit different order based on the personnel that's available, you know. Um, so th that that can shift a little bit, and um, you know that coach was tremendous in, in his ab ability to adapt uh, and call the game as as it unfolded. Yeah. You know? What have you seen? Obviously, Jay Ajay was out for over a year before he played. What have you seen from him? Uh, how close do you feel like he is to kind of being his old self? Well, we are we're really lucky to have Jay. We've got a lot of confidence in him and his ability to go in there and um, run you know, with a physical style that he brings and. Um, you see, you've seen him a little bit here sprinkled in, and, and obviously Miles and, and Boston um, both had really good good nights the other night. So uh, we didn't utilize all those guys and feel comfortable with all of them. What flipped? I, I think sometimes it's just uh, getting comfortable. You just sometimes you you know just one one thing. I kind of always refer to basketball where you know maybe your shot's not going in, and and you you know you get a steal or you get a rebound, you get a put back, and kind of find your rhythm that way and it may just take one completion um, just kind of kind of getting the rhythm and, and we got got the running game going really well and um, started moving the ball and, and, and making first down so I think just um, you know the play of everybody we everybody kind of found a rhythm and, and that helped Carson too but in this case were you surprised to see him come in? You know, on that stage and make the kind of impact he made? I, I don't know if surprised is fair, um, but it certainly was exciting to see. I mean, he, he, he brought an energy, uh, got out there and, you know, and, and made people miss, made some exciting wild plays, got, got the fans energized and excited, got his teammates excited. So he, he, he really provided, uh, you know, the, the spark. Um, and, uh, you know, I think people fed off of that. I really do. One of, those guys, one of those guys said, um, I guess the previous question about Carson, <laughs> guys he hasn't had reps with, yeah. like Boston, sure. Greg, and Perkins and everything. So what does that say about the way Carson played? You know, to well, I think Carson's put uh, you know, a couple really strong performances together here. Um, and I think it speaks to you know, his confidence in, in the guys that are in the huddle there with him. You, 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 know, you mentioned three guys. Those guys have been around. 
Um, and they don't just sit on the sidelines idly. I mean, they get they get plugged in uh, from time to time over the course of, uh, you know, the, the three or two years that, that they've been here um, with the first team. And, and so he's got a familiarity with those guys, and I think he's got a, a confidence, and I think that it's even growing now that um, you got the demonstrated performance, you know, on a Monday night game. Uh, as you guys uh, have stated, those guys stepped up really big and, and a big reason why we were able to win the game. Specifically Boston, Merrill, I asked you about him, but also Greg and Josh. Right. When when guys are pressed into action, maybe you're not surprised, but did you learn anything new about those guys that maybe? No, I think uh, we've got a lot of comp to, to call them up and, and have them on the active and, and have a plan for them and, and be utilizing them in the game. Um, you know, that's what we expect. And, and we've talked about that here. Uh, and that, uh, you know, those guys got to be prepared. And, and we expect that, you know, for the level of play to, to stay the same. And those guys, uh, um, it was it was really fun. You know, that's that's one of the rewarding things about coaching is seeing guys go out there and make those plays, um, which they did to help us win. And so we got to continue to sustain that and, and put another good plan together this week. Doug suggested yesterday that might have been his best, uh, most finest hour there, at least in the, from the fourth quarter on. What do you think that was? Well, I would expect he's going to have a lot more of those uh, for many, many years and um, certainly uh, deserves a lot of credit um, for bringing his team home a winner. But uh, as we've talked about a bunch of these other guys, uh, it was a tremendous team effort, um, not only by you know some of these individuals that we've, we've talked about here on offense, but um, for our defense to play the way that they did, uh, you know, our special team was, was outstanding. Um, and I think Coach mentioned it after the game. It, it was a complete total and uh, team win. It took everybody um, to be able to get it done. And um, so, you know, obviously we're, we're getting ready for Washington. It's going to be another one of those kind of games. Are there ways to, for the coaching staff to kind of get Carson in rhythm a little earlier, whether it be you know, play call or design or those sort of things? Yeah, I think uh, if, if you sense um, maybe if a player might be struggling, that you, you try to find some comfort food, uh, if you will. Um, uh, well, I don't want to give away any any game plan secrets there, but um, I'm sure you can can speculate a little bit as to you know what those things might be. But just try to find easy completions um, where you can you know get the ball out of your hand in rhythm, and and then you know once you get one or two of those, uh, a lot of times you, you just kind of settle in the game, and and uh, then the game comes to you. What is Mike? What perspective do you have Dallas blocking? So, yeah, I think Dallas is, uh, um, you know, he's, he's a real weapon at the, at the point of attack, and he's matched. He's got some hard matchups each and every week. Some of these are the most dynamic players on on the defense that that we're asking to block, and so uh, uh, he's tremendously strong. He's he's willing. He puts his face right on people, and um, he continues to get better and better with his technique. Mike, what perspective do you have, or, or can you offer on on how Greg has has grown from the time you got him in 2017 as a quarterback? To where he is now. Right. Well, I've seen, like you said, I've seen him from the very beginning and um, making the transition from quarterback to wide out. He's somebody that, uh, you know, as, as, as much as he had the ball in his hands at Houston, he did play wide receiver there. So you, you could see uh, the skills of a receiver, but obviously making the transition at this level uh, and everything that that entails, um, it's, it's been a lot of fun to watch him develop and his confidence grow. Uh, and, and to really kind of grow into his game and to figure out, you know, how he needs to play to be successful at that position. He had tremendous success at, at quarterback. So you don't see too many guys be able to do that. And um, he's put in a ton of time, a ton of work, 
and uh, I'm, I'm excited for him and happy for him to for him to be able to, to see the rewards of all that work. Mike, how much Sproles do you see in Boston, and, and how good do you think it is for Boston oh, to, boy. to have, you know, obviously Darren did it for <laughs> Yeah, years, that's, that's a long shadow, but yeah. They're both, you know, yeah. there's not a lot of guys with that build that, you know. Right. Um, it's a natural comparison, I think, maybe because of their size, um, their stature. Um, some of the physical tools that they have are, are very similar. Um, I would I would really hesitate to, to make that comparison based on all the production that, that Darren has had. Uh, I will say this. I mean, when, when Boston's been given his opportunity, um, I think he's maximized his opportunities. And, and usually when players do that, then they earn more opportunities, and they get the you know the chance to get the ball more, and they see more playing time, and then you can then can really put a body of work together. Big V when he's thrown out there in the middle of the game versus when he has a full week of, of preparation in that position. I'm sorry, I didn't hear the beginning what of the seen, question. What have you seen at a Big V? What have I seen? When he has to get thrown out of there, thrown out there in the middle of the game versus when he actually has a week of preparation. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, you know, we, we ask a lot of V. He fills in at, at a at a bunch of spots in the line, um, and kind of an unsung hero, so to speak. And I uh, thought he did really well holding up in there the other night when uh, when Lane went down. Um, and you know, he's he's prepared at right tackle, he's prepared at the guard spots, he's prepared at, at left tackle. So he's he's prepared to go in the game when his number's called, and and uh, and we know that. He's played really good football for us, and, and uh, we anticipate that he'll be able to continue to do that. Uh, guy's got a lot of confidence in him. He's got good strength, understands exactly, uh, you know, how, how we want it done. And, uh, you know, when he has the opportunity to go out there and practice for a full week, knowing that he's going to play, I think for anybody, regardless of what your job is, um, there's a certain level of comfort in that as well. Mike, you mentioned the, uh, yeah. the, the excitement of watching young players as a coach right. you know, get into those spots. Now that you have JJ and Greg uh, in prominent right. roles, um, you know, what kind of stuff do you wake up thinking about? Like what what becomes important as a coach as you're, you know, you're trying to get these guys in, in big moments? Right. Well, I'm glad you mentioned JJ. You know, he made a couple good plays, really good plays for us the other night, um, particularly down the sideline that one late in the game. Uh, and and he's really, uh, you know, he's he's really come on, and and uh, we've got good production out of him, and you can see him getting more and more comfortable. But here's another guy that you know he had he had to play from he went from one position to another, right, 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 the flip of, of a switch in the middle of the game, and um, you know I thought he did a really nice job for us. And again, a credit to him, a credit to you know Carson Walsh, his position coach, and all the work that they've done this season um, to get him prepared for something like that, and anticipate, hey, look, here's a guy who's now he's made some plays. It's not like oh, you know, he's not wondering, hey, can I do this? And he's been out there and made plays and. That, that helps his confidence. That helps, uh, you know, Carson's confidence in, in him to, to look for him. And then, obviously, like we're talking about with Boston, he, you know, hey, look, these guys made some plays, so he's, he earns the opportunity for a few more plays. And uh, it just kind of goes in that cycle. Yeah. Now, we're going to talk about Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, yeah, I think he's a very instinctive player. And, um, you could just see just the way he runs the ball. He's got good vision. You know, sometimes, you, you know, finding your way in between the line and the rushers and all that, and uh, maybe he gets lost, you know, a little bit too. But uh, he's got a good, really good feel for that, spatial awareness. So he's not, you know, he's not bumping into guys. Can, But he's, he's got enough lateral quickness where he can easily, you know, he can easily sidestep somebody too. And, um, you know, he, he turned a couple of those into some, some really big plays. We had big hits on the screens the other night. So that was – that was important in the game as well. Yep. Yep.